If you've got a copy of God's Word, open with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're starting a new book this morning. We've wrapped up Galatians last week. And, uh, and so we're going to start Philippians this week. And Philippians will take us, no doubt, all the way into the Christmas season, all the way up to Christmas. And so um, after Philippians, we'll handle the very small but significant book of Jude to wrap up our year. So that's the plan for this year. Uh, and starting next year, we're going to start the year um, working through our statement of faith, um, looking at these um, non-negotiable tenets of our faith um, that we believe are true, that we don't negotiate on. And uh, we're going to walk through our whole statement of faith for the first couple of months of next year. Uh, for some of you, it'll be um, brand new exposure, but for most of us, it'll just be revisiting what we already know and what we already believe and uh, re-anchoring ourselves to those identity markers as a church. And, uh, and so that'll get us started next year. So that's where we're going for the next few months. I'm glad you're here with us. We are in Philippians 1. If you're a visitor with us, we're going to start in chapter 1 and begin working through this beautiful letter uh, written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi uh, and originally circulated as a letter and now has been canonized into our scriptures <coughs> Excuse me, as a book in the New Testament. Our series this year is Letters to the Church. And so we've been working through letters all year. Um, as we get ready to start Philippians 1, just a little bit of background. There's, a, there's a, quite a bit. I encourage you in your own time and study to look at the background uh, behind Philippians. It will uh, help you uh, in, a, in, a, in a significant way to understand the fullness of what Paul is writing. It's a beautiful story of love and sacrifice between the Apostle Paul and this church in Philippi. Um, just in brevity, though, uh, as we uh, finished Galatians last week and are moving into Philippians this week in a similar way, um, that's how Paul got to Philippi. He had finished... Uh, at least for that season, work in, uh, in, in the region of Galatia and uh, that, uh, that, that Asia Minor area and had, had set off like the Lord was calling him. This is recorded in Acts 16 of your Bible to go to Macedonia, uh, to the area of modern day Europe. And so his first stop along the way was Philippi, this Roman city to, uh, to stop for, for a season and spend a little bit of time there, share the gospel uh, with Lydia, may sound familiar, uh, and a few other ladies. And, a, and, and these ladies responded to the gospel in a church was birthed here in Philippi. And so uh, after that, Paul moved on. But something happened, two things I think that would help us in a significant way to understand the content of Philippians. Um, one, Paul experienced quite a, quite a bit of imprisonment after he left Philippi. Uh, several imprisonments, and along the way, um, almost in every case, the believers who were from this, this city would help Paul out monetarily uh, with supplies and food and provisions. They loved on Paul really well. It wasn't until he was imprisoned in, uh, in, in close to Jerusalem that they were unable to help, and they felt so bad because he was so far away. Uh, but then Paul convinced uh, the authorities to move him to Rome. Uh, and so once he moved to Rome, they, he was closer to Philippi. They were able to help him once again. And, uh, and so you feel a lot of that love and sacrifice between the church and between the apostle Paul. And so he writes this letter uh, to the church and there are some significant themes that jump out. If you just look at the words Paul chooses to use in this beautiful letter, um, there are the word rejoice or joy comes up uh, 12 times, which is a significant amount for this author in such a small letter. And so we know there was a sense of joy and rejoicing on his heart and that he was calling uh, the, the Philippian, or the Philip, not Filipino, uh, the church in Philippi too. 
a rejoicing, a joy in the Lord. So really the, the title of this small series is going to be A Reason to Rejoice. We'll look today um, through the first five verses of the letter at um, the first part of our reasons that we have to rejoice, and we'll finish that up with part two next week uh, as we move on past uh, verse five. Um, but there's a second theme that, that comes out that I think helps us understand what it truly means to rejoice, and that is um, the, the, the word that Paul uses to, uh, that it, it gets translated as think or consider. Um, 17 times in this letter, he calls these, um, these Christians, these Philippian Christians, to think and to consider what is true. And so we understand if you put those two things together, joy and thinking, that we truly understand what it means to rejoice to observe and come to know what is true in a way that stirs the affections of our heart to rejoice. It's a rejoicing that isn't based on circumstances, how, how well my day is going, what the weather is like outside, what, what, the, what the number is on the bank account. Those things can't penetrate or affect true joy. And so Paul calls these Christians, as he does us today, to consider the things that are true. It's in these things that we have a reason to rejoice, to think and to consider what God has done through Christ in our lives. So we'll get started in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, or interchange that for elder or pastor, and deacons or servants. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very standard and familiar greeting from the Apostle Paul. Verse 3, he begins to move into a prayerful part of his letter where he's expressing the things he's praying about and for these believers in Philippi. He says in verse 3, I thank my God. So this is what he's thanking God for in his prayers. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making, excuse me, let me start. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's where we're going to stop today. Now already you can begin to fear, feel a sense of joy and rejoicing from Paul as he opens up his letter and he lets these Christians know that he remembers them with joy as he thanks God for them. Now really there's going to be one primary word that we're going to fixate on today. It's a beautiful word. It came out in the ESV translation as partnership. It's the word koinonia. Now, koinonia, I believe, is one of the most overused and underdefined words in our current church culture. Not because it's not a beautiful word full of rich meaning, uh, but because it gets used so often without context or explanation. You drive down the road and you see a church and it's called koinonia church or a koinonia coffee shop or a koinonia bookstore. And the word gets used because it has so much rich, beautiful meaning and expression of what it means to be the church. Yet without context or definition, it's just kind of a goofy word. Koinonia, I mean, doesn't doesn't rhyme with anything, doesn't kick off any natural sense of what it means. It's kind of a, a weird word. However, in context, with definition, it is such a beautiful expression of our reason to rejoice. 
And so depending on what translation you're reading from, it'll get translated uh, partnership or fellowship or participate or participant or partaker. All of these words beautifully express the meaning of what Paul is calling this church to, to remember and to consider as he prays for them. So let's walk through those together today. Let's start with what it means just on a, on a base level. When you see the word koinonia, on, on the most basic level, it means to be participants of the same thing, to be sharers in something in common, to have an, an affinity for something which invokes kinship. And that's just baseline, the most basic definition I can give you. When you see the word koinonia, you need to think about sharing in something in common and some sense of kinship. When you begin to look more specifically at how the word translates, we're going to see a much more bold and beautiful expression of definition. Let's start with the idea of being partakers. Matter of fact, in, in verse 7, which we didn't make it there, Paul uses the same word with a different prefix, and it gets translated Partakers in the ESV, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, very similar word, same root word, partakers with me of grace. And so this idea of being a partaker in the gospel or a partaker in grace. You see, in order for us to be partners in grace, we must first both be partakers of this grace, partakers in the gospel. We can't be partners in the gospel until we've both tasted and seen that the Lord is good and come to know Christ through the gospel. That's what initiates our affinity, our in commonness, our sharingness, is the grace that we both share in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we've both found ourselves if you're in Christ, and I'm in Christ, we've both found ourselves in desperate need. Desperate need. A need that can't be fixed with money. It can't be fixed with more friends or a nicer house or better clothes or a better figure or more prestige or nobility or recognition or rewards or accolades. The need that you and I have found ourselves can only be fixed by the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever been through a hard situation with someone to share in trial or struggle with someone, but, but that, that experience tends to, if it doesn't like completely divide you, it tends to weld you together. This is true of marriages, right? Their hard times will, will come to those who are married, can be make or break moments. Right? For those who make it through, there's a sense of our hearts are knit and welded together even more closely. You know, of the men who are up here, Cam and, and Jason and I, we, we joke about how we got to know each other in seminary. Uh, we, we packed all of our vast Greek learning education in, into this short period of time called Turbo Greek in the summer. It's like the gauntlet of, of trying to learn and memorize. And there were so many days we'd walk in and look at each other like zombies. We'd been up all night about to take an exam. And, and, uh, and so, so many moments of just shared frustrations and turmoil, and, and I'll use suffering in a really mild sense, together. But something happened that forged our hearts together that has been built upon since then as we've grown in our relationship with one another. The same is true of your experiences. And so, before we 
Before we understand the fullness of what it means to be partners in the gospel, of fellowship in Christ, let's understand first and foremost, our affinity, what you and I first and foremost have in common, is we found ourselves in desperate need, in desperate need of a grace and a forgiveness that isn't some type of barter system. I'll do this for you if you do this for me, right? Not, not part of a trade-off. Not the cheap kind of grace we find here on earth where somebody says to us with their words, I forgive you, and then they go talk behind our backs because they really haven't. But a true expression of God's unmerited favor and grace. And because you and I have both tasted that, we have koinonia. We are both partakers of the same well. We drink every day from the same well of grace. Our motives should come from the same place. Our ambitions are stirred from the same place. Our goals and our priorities in life are set from the same source. If you're taking notes with us today, I rejoice because we share in a common grace from God. Our first reason to rejoice. And there's a lot, right? We don't even have to go on past that. And this morning, we're full. We've got enough reason to stand and to sing and to rejoice and to praise and to exalt the name of Christ. He's been so good to us in his grace. There's another way this word gets translated most common, I would say, into the English language, and that's the word fellowship. It's a beautiful word. Um, Fellowship, uh, kinship, this understanding that we're more than just acquaintances or even friends, but it implies a certain level of intimacy and bond between us. Not just members of the same organization, but truly members of the same family. It's a kinship. And there are days where we get along. There are maybe days where we don't get along, right? But the bond is permanent. The bond is fixed. It's like our marriages. I don't get to walk away from you. You don't get to walk away from me. We face our trials and hardships together even when they're between us, right? Because we're bonded in an intimate fellowship. Fellowship implies knowing and being known. This is the uncomfortable part, I think, one of the uncomfortable parts about getting involved in the community of Christ, right? The community of Christ is not satisfied with cliche answers to questions like, how are you doing? That might work at your job, across the cubicles. How was your weekend? My weekend was fine. But that shouldn't work for us. When we begin to talk about our struggles in life, right? this should be the one place that we're free to say, honestly, here's where my struggles are. Here's where I'm struggling today. Here's where I'm struggling historically. Here's where I need accountability and prayer and encouragement in my life because I've tasted the grace of Jesus. I don't have to hide these things from you. See, it's the process of being known and getting to know, which is equally uncomfortable for some. I'd rather you just keep it all to yourself. The less I know about you, right, the more, the more I can just pretend like everything's fine and we can just go on about our fine days. But the reality is ministry is messy because relationships are messy. And so guess what? Koinonia is as well. The word doesn't always mean that we're smiling over a cup of coffee at Starbucks memorizing verses together. That can be part of it. But it also means that we meet together to weep. It means that we meet together to confess sins. 
we meet together to express where we are still desperate and longing and hurting and broken and in need. You see, koinonia, it includes messiness. It includes your issues and my issues. It's different from belonging to an organization where you can get fixed up, pull on the facade, walk in for a moment and leave and then be real again. If anything, right, this should be the place where you come in and you pull off the facade, a place to be real. It also means having a common affection for one another, a deep sense of love. In the Gospel of John, uh, he records Jesus expressing this to his disciples. In John 13, starting in 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He mentions it again two chapters later in John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The DNA of our relationship is woven together on the love of Christ. In Jesus, we are a koinonia, meaning we have been loved well by God. Therefore, we should love one another well. One of the distinctions, Jesus says, of those who are the koinonia is this. You'll, be, you'll marvel at the way they love each other. You'll walk in and, and you'll, it'll force you to step back and, and, and to, to ask the question, why do you love each other so much? If you're taking notes, I rejoice because we share in a common love for one another. Again, going back to this vertical, horizontal relationship, because of our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, He loves us well. We're to bend that love out first to the other members of the koinonia. We're going to get to the rest of the world in a minute. But if we don't love well in here, there's no basis to go out there and love anybody, right? I mean, why would we go love the lost and invite them into the church for them to walk in and see us devouring one another with our words and our actions and, and biting each other behind each other's back with our words and our actions? We must first love one another well so that when we go out and we love the world, we're inviting them into something that contains the character of Christ, And rejoice because we share in a common love for one another. Now, another word this gets uh, translated is participants. We're participating in something. This is a beautiful expression of the word koinonia. I find that this expression probably gets taught less. And so it means to literally participate in, we'll talk about a common mission in a minute, but first, a common gift. A common gift from a common sacrifice. So if you, if you take this understanding of the word to participate on this level, when we gather together, we share in a common gift. It's manifested in several ways. Let's just take our songs for just a moment. We gather together. We began singing to one another, offering a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. 
right? And so that was a, a gift that we brought together. And you brought your part with your heart and your voice and your expression. You participated in that common gift as we exalted the name of the Lord. I always love it when you start singing so loud that the band backs off. And you're just off and running, sharing in this common gift of exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's also, in a very literal sense, expressed in our common financial giving. And we need to think of it like that. This isn't just my gift to the church or me giving to Jesus. This is me bringing a representative portion of how God has been so good to me, and I'm pitching in with you. I'm throwing in with you. This is beautifully expressed in Acts 2 and Acts 4. When they gathered together, they sold what they had, and whatever they could bring together, they brought it all together, and they piled it at the apostles' feet and said, now let's go meet the needs. Let's go, let's go express the gospel of Jesus. Let's, let's bring this common gift together, a common sacrifice and a common gift. And I think it's important to understand the biblical expression of giving is sacrificial. Not the chump change version or the extra, what I have extra laying around version, but the part that hurts, whether it's financial or otherwise. Right? A good friend came over and helped me chop and split firewood yesterday. A gift of sacrifice, I promise. There were moments where he was thinking, what did I get myself into? My back is hurting. I'm going to pay for this tomorrow. But in a very real sense, because of the love we have and the kinship we have, offered to me and to another friend a sacrificial gift of his time, his energy. Very humbly, I'm joyfully giving this. You see, that's the way we are together together on Sunday mornings, to bring together a sacrificial gift. It's why the amount is less important. Remember the story of the woman who gave everything? It cost her something. From the world's eyes, she just gave chump change. Yeah, just gave a little bit. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, she gave more than anybody because it came out of her sacrifice. You know, when we come together, we're not raising money for things or, or putting our funds together. We're bringing a gift, a common gift to throw it all in and say, I'm in. I'm in this fellowship. I'm in. And so the word literally means to bring a common sacrificial gift. Finances, time, talent, energy, your back. I love the, the men in our church and even some women who, who love to hear about somebody needing to move and then without being asked, volunteer to come help. I won't name these men. Some of you know it because you've been moved by them or you've been blessed by them. Talk about a sacrifice, sacrificial gift because it normally happens on Saturday, right? One of the primary days off and it's not ever easy Flights of stairs, navigating doors, hallways, trying to get things moved without damaging anything. What a beautiful expression of the sacrifice of love. See, that's koinonia. We bring together this common sacrificial gift. I rejoice because we share in a common sacrificial gift with one another. I rejoice in that. This Church isn't contingent on just me serving or me giving. I'm just bringing my little slice, my little bit, and I'm throwing in with you. Say, God, use this. Disperse us how you will. Some are going to go to the kids' building and serve and teach, and some are going to be greeters, and some are going to stand up here, and some are going to set up Christmas stores, and some are going to lead women's ministry, and some are going to lead life groups. And disperse us how you will, but we're throwing in together a common sacrifice 
and a common gift. Now, the word that the ESV translates it into, partnership, is a very real expression of what it means to be the koinonia. See, once we've partaken in this common gift of grace, we are now partners in sharing it with the world. As Paul expressed to the church in Corinth, now that we have been reconciled, we are now members of reconciliation, participants, ambassadors, partners in this ministry of the gospel. In this letter to the Philippians, Paul expresses this partnership several ways. In verse 1-5, partnership in the gospel. In 1-7, partakers with me in grace. Later on in chapter 1, we'll see next week, through your prayers. Even further on in chapter 1, verse 27, striving side by side for the faith. Chapter 2-22, serve with me in the gospel. Chapter 2-25, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Chapter 3, 17, join in imitating me. Chapter 4, 3, labored side by side with me. And in chapter 4, 15, partnership with me in giving and receiving. This partnership was heavy on the mind of Paul as he thought about this real partnership they had. He had come to them initially and served them with the gospel, helped get the church set up, and then found himself in prison. And before you know it, the, the, Philippian, the, the Philippian Christians had reciprocated that by saying, hey, let's come meet his needs in, in prison and, and back and forth and back and forth. This beautiful partnership. And not just a partnership in their common friendship, right? That's why koinonia matters. A partnership in a common mission. So, you see, we don't just gather together as a community to love on one another. We gather together to bring something and to do something. We're partners in this. Going back to what I expressed earlier in in worship. We gather together to do that together. That's the point. But can't I just stay at home and, and watch TV and listen to the preacher there and listen to the songs there and be stirred? Sure you can. Absolutely. But you can't have koinonia there. Koinonia doesn't happen until we gather together. We gather together to exalt the name of Christ together, to hear again this beautiful gospel message, to remind one another of this grace which we've both partaken from. But we also gather together to share in a common mission, to bend out horizontally, even past these walls, the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus expressed through the gospel. So that when we do a Christmas store, it's not the SR Missions team's Christmas store. It's SR Church's Christmas store. It's the kingdom's Christmas store. Whether you give monetarily, bring a gift, show up and serve, stay and pray, Tell your friends about However you participate, you're participating in a partnership that we have. Right? We're not just sending a team to the Philippines next June. Our church is going to the Philippines. And some will actually go physically, get on the planes, the motorcycles, strap on the backpacks and do the whole thing and set up tents and be there among the village. But we're all going because we're all on the same mission. We're partners with one another. Men, you're partners with women's ministry. Blesses my heart when the men show up to watch kids or help set up or clean up. And, and, I, and I think we could, we could do this even more. 
But we're not just there so that our wives can show off their awesome husbands. We're not just there to help out for an event. We're truly partners in this. Those of you who serve in the kids' ministry, you are partners with every parent here. We use that word, partnering with parents. We believe it. We are partners for the gospel in the lives of our kids. My wife and I, Hallie and I, we, we maintain the greatest responsibility of our boys, our children, their spiritual growth. We bear that responsibility, but guess what? We partner with you in that. And so oftentimes my boys will come home reciting verses that you taught them. We're partners in that. In those moments you can't tell, but I'm high-fiving you in my mind. Thank you. Thank you for bending the love of Christ out horizontally to my children, for partnering with me in this beautiful ministry responsibility. And the same is true of the lost in our community, in our nation, in our world. Our mission team is not established and put together to do the mission for us. They are simply their position to organize and mobilize us. Some of you will participate, like I said, in the Christmas store. Some will participate in feeding the homeless. Some will go to Flint, Michigan. Some will go to the Philippines. Some will participate in, in your own neighborhood. Some will participate in, 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 in all kinds of ways, building a relationship with your coworker in the cubicle next to you. Those are all part of the same mission. We're on that mission together. So when you invite somebody to Solid Rock, you're not just inviting them to your church, you're inviting them to our church. We need to be aware of that. We see people come in, bringing friends or new people coming in. Like, Think of it this way. I always try to think of it this way. So you're out there inviting people to show up here. When the people show up here that you've invited... I must be ready to meet the expectations that you set for them. You said, come to our church. It's a fantastic experience. It's a family. And it's like Jason Spader says, it's like walking into a big hug. It's like, like this so, it's going to be so, so amazing. Like, it needs to be that way. Why? Because we're partners in this. Where you hand off the baton, I need to be ready to take it up. If you're taking notes, I rejoice because we share in the common mission with one another. Now, we're going to stop there for today. Um, it's a little bit short for, of our normal time, but I promise you, if I finish the full sermon, we'd be here till 3 o'clock, so I'm going to wait till next week to pick up uh, some more reasons to rejoice. But I think this is a fantastic place to start. When we think about a rejoicing and a joy that is not contingent on circumstances, our real reason to rejoice, it begins here. We share in a common grace. A common grace like Paul that allows us to worship even when we're imprisoned. When James says in chapter 1, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That's the kind of rejoicing we're talking about. A real reason to rejoice. I want you to take just a moment to reflect on how God's spoken to you this morning through his word. Um, Maybe today, in some way, um, God has challenged, shaped, or added to your understanding of what a fellowship is. Maybe whatever you thought it was walking in is different now. You see it as something deeper, more rich, more committed, more concrete, more static, more stable, more permanent. And so maybe for you, you're reevaluating your commitment 
Some of you may even belong to another church or just visiting and God's stirring your heart to re-engage in that commitment at that church to realize this is so much more than just an organization to be involved in. This is a family to belong to. Maybe that's where God is stirring your heart. Maybe even here you're thinking, how can I get more involved with, with this mission? How can I share in it? On a practical standpoint, let us know. Like your connect card, fill it out. This is how I want to serve and be involved. Tell us verbally. Right, But if, if we're not starting with this common heart, this, this DNA, if you will, of Christ, this common love for one another and this common grace in Christ, don't serve or sign up for anything. It'll be miserable for you and us. Maybe in some way, um, God has challenged you to think about um, the way you love one another. And maybe thus far, You've had no trouble loving people who you like and who are like you and who are funny and fun to be around, but they're those few people, you know. I'll, I'll tolerate I'll like them, I'll, or I'll, I'll love them, but I don't have to like them. What does that mean anyway? Don't, don't, don't go there. We weren't called to love and not like people. We're called to love people with a love that expresses itself in liking. And liking each other with our imperfections and deficiencies and nuances and quirks and I've got them, and you've got them too. You know what I'm talking about. This isn't just birds of the feather flock together. This is the community of Christ with our diversity and our, and our strangeness and our, our faults coming together in unity to pitch in and say, I'm with you and you're with me. Our affinity is the grace of Christ. And if we walk away from one another in disagreement, what we're saying then is that the grace of Christ is not enough. Who wants, don't, let's don't go there. And maybe today you've been challenged to think about how you love one another, first of all, within the body of Christ. And maybe there's division or some type of conflict that's just sitting there stewing and festering and it needs to be addressed. Jesus would come back in, in Matthew 18 and give you instruction on how to do that. It's, it's pretty, um, pretty simple. Go to that person. Start there with the purpose of forgiveness and reconciliation. And maybe in a, a different level, um, your, your understanding of what it means to give to the kingdom has been changed or, or expanded or grown today. And you realize, and so it's not that you need to give more money or more time, it's that you need to give those things with a different heart attitude and with a different understanding. Maybe today God would open up your eyes to see the heart of why you serve. However God has spoken to you today, I'm going to pray for you and for us. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to, uh, to be up and, and available in the service. They'll have the lanyards on at the front and at the back, always ready and willing to talk and pray with you. Um, our counseling rooms will be open as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I pray, and let's respond this morning. As you prepare to pray, I want to just say one more thing to you. If for some reason today, as we walk through these verses, you felt like you were on the outside looking in. Maybe you've never come to that place in your life where you've truly tasted the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And so everything I spoke about today seems somewhat foreign. That, that well that I was talking about that we all draw from, I want you to know it's a person. It's Jesus and he's here today. And he is ready to extend grace and forgiveness and love to you to give you a lifelong, eternal relationship with the Heavenly Father. And Jesus wants me to tell you that invitation is open 
And your job is to respond in faith. This morning, by faith, by believing that Jesus is the son of the living God, by believing that he went to the cross in your place and he died for your sins and he rose from the grave to show you and me and the world that he has power over our sins and power over death. If you believe that is true, if you believe it, God says you will be saved. Right now, this moment may be that moment for you. If you want to pray about that, talk to God about that, you can do so by staying seated and talk to God with your own heart and words. And, but I also want you to know we're here for you. Our prayer partners would love to talk more with you about what it means to be a Christian, to be saved, to be forgiven, and to be given this eternal relationship with God. So please, when we're singing these songs, I want you to come grab a prayer partner, share with them what's going on in your heart, and allow them to talk and pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us into a kinship with one another. As I heard one of our members say to another member this morning, hey, we have the same father. God, that's so true today. We are not just members of a church, we're members of your family. And God, in that, we share so much in common despite our differences. Thank you for pouring into each of our lives this abundant, overflowing grace that has forgiven us, that has trained us and compelled us towards godliness. Thank you that you've invited us into this common sacrifice, this common mission to join in with the people of God, to join in with the redeemed, to exalt the name of Christ here on earth. So Father, come now, move among the hearts of your children. For those who don't know you today, God, I pray, I pray. God, whoever doesn't know you would come to you today for the first time to reach out to you, to, to begin this lifelong relationship with you. So God, now come move among us as we respond in Jesus' name.